Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Karen McMahon in the studio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It is so nice to interview people. And we already chatted for about half an hour, having a good time. And, Thanks so uh, much for inviting me. I'm excited about the conversation. I love getting to know people. I, I love networking and connecting. And we chatted a little bit about that initially. You were married for 12 years and I went through a difficult uh, high conflict divorce and uh, you know I interview people to bring hope to people that are in the middle of divorce or I usually say the aftermath of divorce and a lot of people end up in a downward spiral and to help people get out of that downward spiral and turn it to an upward spiral in their lives and turn their lives into an amazing life and um, I truly believe that divorce can be that catalyst to turn your life around into an amazing life. That's what happened to me. And you also have two kids, 23 and 25, almost the same age as my two oldest. And you've realized that the pain of divorce led you on a transformational journey into an incredible new life. We have so much in common. I think um, uh, this is gonna be a very exciting interview slash uh, exploration. And you had a little story you're going to share something about. Uh, what was that? What happened? Yeah, so early on in the divorce, I lived in a, an English tutor and I had to move up to the attic just to get some space and privacy from my husband of the time. And my children at the time were around maybe four and six years old. And so being on a separate floor with two doors that could be closed and locked was good for me and a little scary for them. And so I bought them walkie talkies and we had this whole plan for how they could reach me at any time. And, you know, I would swoop down and get them. And so just this, this attempt to make a very high conflict situation, quote unquote, normal, fun, like, you know, address the children in a way where they weren't scared about it. Yeah, we're going to come to talk a little bit more about that, how to deal with uh, difficult divorces, because both you and I have dealt with, you know, fairly high conflict divorce and uh, how to make that journey through that. And before that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you. When you were married and you started realizing the divorce, can you tell me a little bit more about that, your journey initially, you know, initially before the divorce and what happened? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. So the first thing that I always say is I was older. I was 34 when I got married. I wasn't right out of college in my 20s. And so I had left home at 19. I had been out on my own for like 15 years. So I thought I really picked well and knew um, what I wanted and what I didn't want. And so I was really surprised when things went south. And in retrospect, there were so many red flags right from the beginning that I was very blind to. And so, yeah, he was charismatic and uh, he had owned his own business and we had a lot in common. And But once the children started coming, once time was tight, once money was tight, uh, everything started changing. There was a lot of conflict. When we had conflict, I was called very, very bad names. I was put down. I come from divorce. So the one thing that I shared vulnerably with my husband was 
I just never, ever wanted to bring children into the world and do the same thing. And so the divorce word was thrown at me as a threat on the regular basis. So it was my daughter's second birthday when we had a physical altercation. And that's when I was just like, I have become a rageaholic. I looked in the mirror. I hated myself. I looked like my mom, who was a rageaholic. I like became the worst version of myself. And I was rather displeased with his version of himself. So that was really the beginning of trying to mend the marriage. I went to therapy. We went to marriage counseling. We went to a program called Retrovive. I really didn't want to get divorced, anything but that. And ultimately I asked for some space just to, because that was his personality as he was just like, sweat on skin. Like he couldn't give me any space. And when I asked for space, he got closer. And that was really a, a big turning point for us. I turned into a very different person myself in the marriage. And uh, when it comes to, uh, might sound weird, but it's like my, my ex-wife was quite, in my mind, quite controlling. And I became more passive, codependent in a way. And uh, I think it was something that snuck up on me, I think. It was difficult to, I didn't realize I was becoming passive myself and not standing up, not having boundaries in my relationship. Right. And uh, then in, in the last few years of the marriage, our counselor, my counselor said, you know, you need to start establishing boundaries. And uh, I initially, I had never heard about boundaries. Right. And, uh, <laughs> What's what is that? that? Yeah. <laughs> And I think one of the uh, things that I did wrong was that I started establishing boundaries too quickly. And uh, then my ex-wife felt very controlled. And uh, so it was, you know, we weren't used to having boundaries. There was no boundaries. And um, by starting to establishing boundaries about, you know, several different things, it's not only how you communicate, but within finance, et cetera. You know, my wife decided to, she wanted a divorce. And afterwards, I really understood how important boundaries is in the relationship. It brings respect. It brings uh, a normality to your relationship. Now, is that something that you had to deal with or how was that in your relationship or afterwards? Yeah. I mean, boundaries is something that I was raised in a boundary oblivious family. So I didn't know boundaries. It's kind of like, you know, how do you know a foreign language if nobody teaches it to you? I didn't know what a boundary uh -huh. was. I was raised in a family where my dad was the passive aggressive alcoholic and my mom was the controlling rageaholic. And it kind of repeated itself a lot in my marriage and learning how to set boundaries. And I would say, uh, I wrote an article, healthy relationships require healthy boundaries. And, and a healthy boundary is understanding that you own your feelings. Nobody makes me feel and nobody makes me do. That's part of the boundary because, you know, that's, that's us taking responsibility for ourselves. And then safety, like you said, it might be if anyone spends more than X amount of dollars, we're going to talk about it. If you speak to me that way, I won't stay in the room. Like there's all these boundaries. And one day I was standing on the staircase and I was being just berated and it occurred to me for the very first time that I could pick up my keys and walk away and not sit there and be assaulted. 
And it was just this like light bulb moment. Like I was so used to just sitting there and just receiving this, this horrendous barrage of verbal and emotional abuse. And I grabbed my keys and I left and I was so empowered. And so to your point, learning boundaries, um, number one, puts us fully responsible for how we feel and act. And number two, it frees us. There's so much liberation in creating healthy boundaries. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's so important to, to have, you know, to go through a period after your, your, you know, I was married for 20 years, but start learning about yourself. I had to rediscover myself after mm. the divorce. I actually started dating right after the divorce for about the year. But uh, I realized I was dating just because I wanted to feel this void inside of me, uh, this loneliness, depression, suicidal thoughts, etc. And uh, after a year, I said, this is not good. I'm not going to continue dating because I'm dating for the wrong reason right now because I wanted a, a lifelong relationship. I didn't want to just date for the sake of dating. So I took two years off and uh, really focused on me. And um, then I met an amazing woman on the tennis courts. So it's, uh, it was very natural. But uh, doing this navigation after divorce, how did you navigate that? I was lucky enough to have an incredible therapist. And then I was just talking to one of my coaches today about the power. And you and I were just talking about the power and value of group coaching or groups, support groups. And so I, I actually went into Al-Anon 12-step program because I was a child of alcoholism and there was some, some substance abuse in the, in the marriage. And so those two supports were absolutely critical in helping me to keep the focus on me and what I brought to the table and what I needed to work on because it's so easy to look at them and what's wrong with them and why they're the problem. And yet you miss the most precious of gifts when you're not keeping the focus on yourself. And so that's what I did. I also committed right out of the gate that I would not date for 12 months, that whatever it was about me that attracted a person that I felt was pretty unhealthy for me, I needed to heal. I needed to find myself because I very much lost myself in my marriage, codependent. His voice was in my head. His thoughts were in my head. His reaction was the first thing I thought about. So I was really a shell of myself. And so that year was my opportunity to meet and fall in love with myself, because if we don't love ourselves, we're not going to go out and manifest people who love us. I really love that. It's, uh, it's so crucial. You know, back to the groups, uh, I have a meetup group via meetup. It was funny, this last week was one of the guys who'd been participating for a few weeks. And then he, he said, this is so awesome to come to this group because I can be me. Because when he's around his friends, around other people, he's never authentic. He's never real. But he says, it's such, because, and he was joking. It was like, I can be me. You know, I'm never going to meet you guys. I can, I can talk to you. I can share my hurt. I can talk to him, be real. It was such an awesome comment from him and that he felt safe in the group. 
So what, what do you think about being authentic and real? That's something that I did the journey in the divorce, something I discovered as a gem in my journey of the divorce to becoming me, becoming real, becoming being able to be authentic with people. Yeah, I think that when we begin to take off the many, many masks that we can wear and show up as our true self and choose to be vulnerable and open and authentic, that's when we're in the flow of who we've been created to be. And it's just, people say this to me all the time about like going back out and dating and I don't know how to do it. And it's like, well, you get up, you get dressed and you be you. And if it doesn't work for the other person, that's good information. But if you're going to get up and you're going to put on your masks and you're going to be some fake version of yourself, and then they go and fall in love with that fake version, and now you're comfortable and you want to take those masks off, it's not going to work out so well. And it's not just, I'll even say it's not just, you know, intimate relationships, it's friendships, it's it's your profession. And so I used to sell commercial printing. And as a salesperson, I had my salesperson mask on. People didn't know me as a person. And after my divorce, both in business and in my personal life, I was like, I'm showing up as Karen McMahon in all areas of my life. And my business ended up flourishing because I was no longer this like, you know, robot salesperson. I was this human being that's multidimensional. And so I can't agree with you more that the value of authenticity for ourselves, just for the flow of an ease of being us and for relationships and allowing people to get to know us is, you know, it's priceless. That is one of the keys as well to really connect with people. If you're uh, talking and trying to get to know somebody that's not authentic, it's uh, pretty much impossible to to deepen your relationship. Right. I've shared this story uh, before, but after like a year or so after the divorce, I was starting to get to know some people because I didn't have any close friends. Uh, I had uh, uh, my marriage and my, my kids, that was everything. And, but it was too busy. And I think it's quite unhealthy to only have your family as your friends. It's something that you really need to develop these relationships outside of your family that I can go and play golf with my buddy and, and my romantic partner or wife can go out and do stuff that she wants to do with her friends. I think that's extremely healthy. And, uh, I had a friend uh, at the Bible study that I just met him in the study maybe twice. And I said, I thought he was a really nice guy from Colombia. I said, why don't we go out for lunch? We went out for lunch. And then he shared that he was dealing with anxiety, pretty severe anxiety. And, uh, you know, I never tell people about this. He, he was being authentic. Mm. And then I shared my, my divorce. I, I had so much shame about my divorce. I didn't want to tell anybody about it initially. No, no friends, no, no people. So I shared about that. And now we're very good friends. It's a key to unlock people, I usually say, to be authentic and real with you know, people that you feel safe with. You know, and there's a saying in 12-step program, we're only as sick as our secrets. And when you're not authentic, you're actually, you're keeping secret who you are. Yeah. You know, and so there's such they're the letting the fresh air in and letting people choose. The bottom line is there are billions of people on the face of the earth. They're all not going to like me and that's okay. 
It is okay. Yeah. Now, you said something about loving yourself. That's a, a saying a lot of people just throw out there. But what does that really mean, loving yourself? And if you have a person out there right now that, that uh, doesn't know how to love themselves, right. what would you say to that person? So, you know, I, I like to put it in the context of there's being selfish where I don't really care about you pair or how my actions are going to affect you. I'm just going to take care of me. So that's selfish. And then there's what those of us who were uh, recovering codependence or codependence is self-sacrificing, almost self-loathing where I'm not even on the list. I'm not even thinking about my needs. Oh, you need that. I'll drop what I was going to do and take care of you. And so we abandon ourselves constantly. And self-loving is where you commit to yourself. Self-loving is that not selfish, not self-loathing. It's where in a healthy way, I honor my needs, I honor who I am, I set healthy boundaries, I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. And for those of you who are in that kind of lonely divorce or post-divorce stage, I learn how to completely enjoy being with just me. And I think you spoke to that, right? It's like, what are my hobbies? What are my interests? If you've been married and taking care of your spouse and raising your kids and doing your job, and it's like, where are you on the list? And all of a sudden you're divorced. And maybe if you have kids on the weekends where the kids are with the other parent, you can cry and sit on your pity pot, or you can say, I used to like photography. I really used to like hiking in the woods. I would love to reconnect with that old girlfriend or die friend. And so whether you're spending time completely alone or you're creating your life that's based on your authenticity and your passion, then you get to a point, I've been talking to my adult children about this. You get to a point where it's like, I am so good being with me. So now when I go and look for that partner, they're not filling this big open gap in my life. They're simply complementing my full life. And that's really when you tend to find really healthy love. Exactly. And uh, the interesting part, I was very lonely initially in the divorce. And it's not weird that you are, because if you have a family, you have the kids, that is your world. And then for myself, and I was living in Airbnbs initially for quite some time. And uh, it was a lot thanks to my friend in the Bible study that he actually asked, he had just gone through divorce himself. He asked if I wanted to roommate with him. And this was about six months after, maybe, maybe a little bit more, uh, maybe nine months. And that was a lifesaver for me to have somebody else to talk to. We actually roommated for a year and a half, which was uh, so awesome. And then, and after that, I started living by myself. So that's about two years afterwards. And I was totally fine to be by myself. But initially, it was terrible to do that journey to, like you said, start finding things that you love to do. I started playing tennis and uh, playing golf as well and finding the things that I actually stopped doing that long, long time ago, but I started back up things that I really love to do. Right. And that helped me also to gain friends. Yeah. So, and I think that part that you mentioned earlier, your meetup group that's of support, I think that it's especially there are a lot of people who live in rural areas and they don't have family and they don't have a lot of friends. And of course, we've gone through the whole, you know, season of COVID. And so 
those online support groups are brilliant and they're a way where you can safe well the safe groups where you can safely work on being your authentic self and then that's the being authentic is a very big step towards self-love and there's healing that has to be done and there is family of origin and inner critic work that has to be done I mean I will say and I'm curious what you think pair the work that we invite our clients into doing requires courage. It's easier to just blame the person you're leaving or who left you and move forward as, you know, the victim. And, and what you're going to do is you're going to go out and you're going to meet the same man or woman in a different body. You're going to rinse and repeat within the first seven years. And then you're going to say, why does this keep happening to me? as opposed to what is my part in what keeps happening, which is the, the better question to ask. I like how we, we go back and forth and we, we, we a lot of similarities. It requires courage. I love that. It does require courage, but uh, it's so worth it to take that step. And I've had many uh, people come into the, the meetup group and I require everybody to have the video on. Some people come in there and they don't want to show the video they just want to listen but that's not uh, going to help them long term and i think it's all sort of the respect for the other people so everybody sees each other but that requires uh, courage to take yes. that little step of showing up and trusting uh, right because you're dealing yeah. with people whose trust has been broken and now you're in this room with a bunch of strangers and you're being invited to be authentic you're being invited to share vulnerably which means trusting that's not easy that no. takes a lot of courage yeah but in the group uh, just so people are listening in the group i don't require people to especially initially they, they can just listen. The similar is an AA. You know, I have a family member that uh, struggled with alcohol and um, I, I went to several AA meetings. And initially you just come in and listen and then you hear the people that are authentic and real. And that's in a way it's very attractive. Yes. And people start enjoying that. It's like that guy I, I mentioned, he was so awesome. You know, it, it felt so awesome for him that he could be himself and he could share. And there's so much healing in that to be able to, to talk about what you're going through. If you don't heal, if you don't go through this uh, journey after the divorce, I usually say, if you're a broken person, you're gonna attract another broken person. You attract what you project. And um, the, if you want to have a long-term successful relationship, you got to do the work. You cannot do it yourself. Right. It's so difficult to do it yourself. And um, so what's the benefit of having a coach or what is the difference between a, a counselor and a coach? I just want to riff on that last thing you said, because if you don't do the work and you've kind of lost yourself in your last marriage or giving yourself up, which is like abandoning yourself, if you don't commit to yourself and come to self-love, then you're abandoning yourself and you're going to attract people who abandon you. It's just, it's like how the energy of the universe works. And that that's question about a divorce coach versus a counselor or therapist is a great one. The way I like to describe it is therapists, counselors, they're mental health experts. They tend to focus on explaining psychologically what's going on and focusing on the past and healing. 
And life coaches, which divorce coaches are, really are helping you to get from where you are to where you want to be. It's very forward moving. It's a much more interactive conversation. Most coaches work with clients in a way where the client's creating an action plan. So there's work for the individual to do between the sessions. And so people tend to catapult forward pretty quickly with divorce coaching. And then pair, perhaps you do the same thing. It's like, we're supporting people on the two different levels. And one is just the emotional storm of divorce. And how do you navigate that? How do you go from being reactive to responsive? How do you go from being problem-oriented to solution-oriented? How do you practice being present so that you're not fretting the past or worrying the future? So divorce coaching really enables people to do all of that work between sessions and find their way forward really at a nice clip. I see so many people that are navigating divorce. I talked to one man just on the last uh, meetup where he's been for two years after the divorce, he still hasn't made any progress, quite the opposite, feeling sad, you know, about the whole thing. And, uh, if you don't start taking steps, it's going to be very difficult to get forward momentum and uh, to start uh, taking the steps. And that's, you know, accountability is one of the most important things about coaching, where you know somebody's going to ask you, did you do the work that you said you were going to do? Okay. And uh, it's very powerful. Another thing that I work a lot is to help the client paint the, the canvas of their vision, you know, where they see themselves in 10 years. And uh, it's so crucial to have that clear vision, a detailed picture of what you, where you want to go. I have a, a pretty good uh, explanation of why vision is so important. I don't know if you heard the story about it was a basketball coach that had three players. So he had one player standing practice for 30 days and shooting hoops, uh, you know, 1,000 hoops every day for 30 days. And then you had another person, he, he was not going to have a ball and he didn't have the hoop, but he visualized thousand shots every day for 30 days. And then you had one player, he didn't practice at all. He didn't visualize or practice. And the, the cool thing was that the guy that practiced with the ball, he, had, he increased his uh, skill with 34%. The guy that visualized it, he increased it with 33%, almost the same as the one that had the ball and the hoop. Wow. And the one that sat on the sideline, it didn't improve anything. Right. And it's so important to visualize yourself where you want to be because your brain doesn't know the difference on reality or what you're visualizing mm. and to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. I would add that one of the key things that I believe get people so stuck, and we've had people come to us two, four, 10 years post-divorce and really stuck, like time stands stood still. And the thing that they all have in common was this utter resistance of where they were. And so there was no acceptance that this happened this chapter of my life is over. There is an opportunity. How can I visualize and go forward? They stayed still. I spoke to one guy, maybe four or five years post-divorce, and he was still daily ruminating about this amazing person he lost and how terrible his life was and how it used to be so great. And when we started coaching, 
the story was a complete lie. He had created this whole thing. And when we started dismantling it and saying, what's real and how do you, and help him move from total resistance of that chapter of your life is over to complete acceptance, the movement forward happens really rapidly. And so that yeah. resistance can so lock somebody into a place that is uncomfortable. It's like be, it's like driving through a burning building and stopping in the middle and just sitting there and being in the pain and the smoke. And it's like, no, just keep on going. It's going to be so much better when you get over to the other side. A lot of times you, you deal with people, or I was the same way, dealing with both fear of uh, and, and uh, being kind of like... Uh, when you think back about all the past mistakes you made and also being afraid of the future, but instead to, to live in the present. And it's, it has a lot to do with emotional intelligence to really work on, on becoming a better person, being an awesome dude, I usually say, to be, becoming this uh, secure person. I think a big part of coaching as well to becoming more emotionally healthy in general. So you don't, uh, you know, react to the simple little emotional distress. And I think to your point, when you go through divorce and you roll up your sleeves and you do the work, the hard work of being present, of, of accepting what's going on, of looking at your own behaviors, thought and action behaviors, you know, when you do that work, the gift is just brilliant because you get to emerge such a better version of yourself. And if you're a better version of yourself, you're going to parent better. You're going to be better with your work colleagues. Like there's, you're going to, here you're going through and navigating one of the most overwhelming, multi-tiered, like difficult, difficult transitions. After that, almost everything is a cakewalk if you yep. do the work, because then it's like, how important is it? And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like all of a sudden your vantage point is completely different in a good way. I learned so much going for myself. I learned so much going through the divorce. So I see the divorce as something very positive. Initially, I see it, saw it as the biggest mistake, or I felt like a failure. The, the problem was, you know, I got a coach very early on and a mentor. I got help to see the positives in the relationships yeah. because I only focused initially on the, the last few years where we had a lot of struggle, but we had a lot of very good parts of our marriage. Like the first probably 15 years, most of it was positive. And to learn to see, you know, it wasn't a waste of time to be married for 20 years. It was a very, you know, it was part of my book, maybe one chapter or two or three in my book of life. I think we can learn so much going through this journey, but, uh, and even in any difficulty, I believe there are gems if you look, even in the most difficult uh, circumstance. You know, one of the things that what you're saying reminds me of is, Divorce is painful. There's no doubt about it. You know, we're all going to go through pain as we go through divorce, but most people suffer tremendously and the suffering is optional. Yeah. And the suffering really comes down to not how he or she behaves or what your finances are, anything like that. The suffering often almost always comes down to what's happening between your ears, the story you're telling yourself, the perspective you have. And so you can take the exact same situation and have that 
healthy boundaries, healthy perspective. And yeah, it's still difficult, but it's not slaying you. And so many people go through divorce and, and they just, they don't have access to this, which is why it's so great that you're doing this podcast. They're stuck in this cycle of negative thinking, nightmare stories. I'm going to be lonely. I'm going to be broke. I'm not going to see my kids. You know, I had one woman come to me and she's like, that's it. You know, I'm never going to see love again. And I was like, how old are you? And she's, I'm old. And then she was younger than me. I was like, that's not so old. And, <laughs> and then I was like, like, are you, are you to have a fatal illness? Like, why do you believe that you're never going to have love again? And she was certain and she was devastated by her story. Like five months later, she called me giggling and I'm like, you're in love. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's the stories we tell ourselves that to your point, those visionary stories can be expansive and those negative stories can really shut down possibility for us and cause suffering. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the suffering is op optional. You're not actually not the first one that I've heard say that. So when you were in the attic, you obviously went through a difficult time in the early stages of the divorce. Yeah. What is the secret to a successful divorce, even when you have a difficult uh, spouse or difficult divorce? I thought my divorce was very successful. CPS got involved. The police got involved. I was in sales. I lost all of my business. I had friends dropping off bags of groceries at the back door because I had no money to feed my kids. So wow. it was rough. And yet I would do it all over again because the one thing I was able to do was keep the focus on myself. And I went from being like really unconfident, self-doubting, insecure in my personal life to feeling like I was a, a good parent, being clear, being kind. I made every effort to only let the children know how much their dad loved them and not bring any of the chaos him and I had to the kids. And so the way, in my humble opinion, the way to a successful divorce, it's not about the settlement and the shared parenting, although that's very important. When you keep the focus on yourself, when you keep an eye in the mirror, what's my part? What's my behavior? What do I need to change? How can I be better? What do I need to heal? The settlement and the shared parenting is most likely going to turn out better because you're less reactive. You're not yeah. tossing emotional grenades across the room all the time. You're being thoughtful. You're slowing things down. You're able to be responsive, effective, efficient. You get to partner with your attorney better. And all of that requires what I like to call clarity, confidence, and calm. And when you can bring yourself to that place on a regular basis, you will be going through your divorce more as your best self than your sloppiest self. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, divorce can be very, very difficult. I have so many clients uh, share their stories and uh, uh, people that are listening right now, they're, you know, they're going to be people that are listening right now and uh, feel uh, the same way that both you and I felt when we were in the middle of the divorce. Uh, I usually ask people I interview, what would your suggestion be for that person listening right now 
what would the first steps be? Yeah, I think one of the very first steps is to get educated because your 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 soon to be ex, your friends, like everyone wants to tell a nightmare story about divorce, and so go to the experts, find a divorce coach, find a good matrimonial attorney, and and stay rooted in what's factual and true about your rights, about you know what you need to know, what you need to do. And then get the support that you need. And just because people love you doesn't mean they should be on your A team of support. I had a sister who was really supportive. And I had another sister who was more angry at my at my soon-to-be ex than I was. And it was so unhelpful because I found myself defending him, which pissed me off even more. And so what I realized was she totally loved me, but her own baggage was in there. And so she wasn't able to support me. And so the friends and family who keep the focus on you and what you need and your growth and your healing, they're your A team. And it's really valuable to have that team. I actually sent you that question and you answered it. I'm going to read your answer here. I thought it was an amazing answer. If you keep the focus on healing and refining your heart and character, you will be using the pain of your divorce to fuel the next best chapter. Mm. I thought that was beautiful. I really love that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that is, that's, that's my passion and purpose in working with people. That's what it's all about. And I don't think many of us even consider that going into it. But once you find that path, it's, you know, it's brilliant. It is. Yeah. So, so cool. Yeah. Hey, we come towards the end of the podcast here. It's been such a pleasure to get to know you. I guarantee you that listeners are going to really love this episode. I'm going to leave the, the comment in the comments below more information about you. I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime in the future to do an update uh, if you're up for it. That would be lovely. And thank you again. Thank you for what you do, both the coaching and the podcast. And thanks so much for having me. This was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you.